downstairs. Younger adults can go downstairs. And we'll be in Proverbs chapter 7 tonight. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 7. <clears throat> We're going to read uh, the end of the chapter. Verses 24 through 27, excuse me, and then we'll have a word of prayer. It says this, hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Sounds like an encouraging passage, huh? Uh, We're going to talk tonight about the topic of temptation in general, and uh, this passage offers some helpful insights on how to avoid temptation, uh, whatever that temptation may be. And so I pray tonight that as we look at this, uh, our hearts would be helped and we would uh, cling closer to Christ uh, in these areas that we struggle. But let's pray and ask God's uh, blessing in our time together. God, we thank you for this opportunity again tonight to gather. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truths that it contains um, for us and that they're still applicable to our lives. And I pray as we talk about uh, this subject of temptation tonight, God, that that we would be willing to see uh, maybe what could have been classified before this as blind spots in our lives, areas where uh, we don't even recognize that we struggle with this idea of temptation. And Certainly, I think for for many in the room, God, when we hear the idea of temptation, and and even as we read this passage, our minds automatically go to to some form of sexual sin, but the truth is uh, we can be tempted in many ways, and we can be tempted to do many things. And so as we look to this text tonight, God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive your word. I pray that, that we would be willing, God, to take an honest look at our own lives and that we would just desire to walk in the way um, that you have enabled us to walk in. God, truly the, the life, the abundant life that you've given us on this earth is a gift that you desire for us to experience. And uh, when we yield to temptation or follow after temptation, God, we're, we're setting ourselves on a different path than you would desire us to be on. And so I pray tonight that we would rid ourselves of those things through the power of your spirit, uh, that we would... Allow your word to penetrate the depths of our hearts, that we would be honest and open with ourselves and and maybe even with somebody else, God, about the areas in life that we struggle. We just ask that you would go before us now and uh, do what you desire to do in us, uh, that that you would make us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we think about this idea of temptation, um, we could ask the question, what could be classified as a temptation? And as I said in my prayer, there are, there are many things that could be classified as temptation. Um, and Proverbs actually deals with a lot of those things. We're not going to jump around the book tonight like we did last week. We're going to stay primarily in this, this text. Um, but the, the definition for temptation is just simply a desire to do something uh, especially wrong or unwise. Uh, another definition would be a thing or a course of action uh, that attracts or tempts someone from what they know is good or right. And so as we think about temptation, um, it, it could really be a very large category that could touch really every area of our lives. In any place that you have a choice, you can be tempted. In any area that you have to make a decision, um, there's an opportunity there for you to be tempted away from what is good and right and godly and holy and righteous to something that is, is wicked and vile and, and you say, you may say, I may say, well, my choices aren't that big. It's, it's small things that I'm making choices over. Well, if we reject God's way, isn't our choice to go another way, wicked and vile and unrighteous? And so as we think about temptation, we can't classify the things that we're tempted with as small things and the things that other people are tempted with as big things, but we have to see them as God sees them. And so any, any area that we have an opportunity to make a choice Uh, We can face the battle of temptation to do what's right or to do what's wrong. I have choices in what I do. I have choices in what I say, where I go, what I think, how I act, how I react, how I treat others. And temptations are everywhere, and truthfully, everyone deals with them. 
to think about temptations, we could go to the temptation of Christ. And aren't you thankful that God gave us that example in the scriptures where as Christ found himself led away by the Spirit into the wilderness and Satan put before him choices that would have not been God's will for his life, um, Christ was able to stand fast against those temptations and he used the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word to combat those things, to guide him in the path that the Father uh, would want him to go in. And so we, we can be thankful for that example and we can learn from that example. Uh, but so often when it comes to temptations, uh, people convince themselves in their hearts and in their minds that sinning is the only way out. Have you ever thought that before, maybe subtly in your heart or mind? Well, I don't really have a choice in the matter. It's, this is my only option. And all the while God is saying, no, there, there are other options and really, that's such a warped way of thinking because we're saying, God, I know that you have freed me from the bondage of sin but in every area but this area. This is, this is the place that I have to sin in order to get where, where I think you want me to be. And, and it, it is such a flawed way of thinking. It's a, it's a messed up way to view how God wants us to live in this world. And so we go to the Word of God and we trust in the Spirit of God and we know that in those moments of temptation or when we're fighting strong urges or when we're, we're battling the desires that would lure us away from where God wants us to be. God has given us a way of escape. And the question is, in those times, are we looking to the, the area that he, or the ways that he has given us? As Solomon writes this passage, if you read all of chapter 7, and even the passage that, that we're looking at tonight in the end of chapter 7, it's obvious that as he's writing, the context would be about sexual sin. And we'll probably discuss that a little bit. Uh, but what I have found interesting in reading over this passage several times is that the principles that, that Solomon puts within this text of avoiding sexual sin are really principles that can be applied to every sin. That it's not just uh, one area that Solomon is dealing with here, but if we, if we look at it through uh, the, the lens that maybe God would want us to see it, we can understand that, that these principles are helpful in leading us to make the right decision and to avoid temptation uh, that would bring destruction in our lives. Uh, Solomon knew through his own experience, we don't know how deeply yet, but certainly later on in life, that sin always brings destruction. Uh, sin always brings calamity. Sin always brings chaos. And uh, oftentimes we're okay with that because we think that that destruction is only going to touch us. But how often does, does the destruction of sin only touch us? Not very often. Oftentimes, it's, it's more far-reaching than we could even fathom or, or even comprehend. And so, if we want to walk in the way of truth, if we want to walk in the way of righteousness, then I think following these principles will help us out. As we begin tonight, just a question, and, and I don't want answers to this. <laughs> if you want to give me your answers later, you can, but I don't want them right now for sure. Uh, but the question is, in what area of your life are you tempted to go astray in? In what area of your life are you tempted to go astray in? We all have something, uh, because we're not perfect. Uh, we, we haven't been made into the image of Jesus Christ. We're being made into that image, but we haven't been fully made into that image yet. And so we all struggle with something, one area of temptation or, or another. And so as we think about that area, my second question, the follow-up question would be, how are you actively combating those things? Um, have you ever faced a problem maybe in your car and you're just like, well, it's a, it's a noise, I know it's a noise, and if I just ignore it, it's going to go away eventually, right? Bad move. It, it doesn't ever go away. And if it does go away, it's because it's something else is louder and you just can't hear the original noise first. Um, so how are we actively combating uh, the temptations that, that we face in our lives? Another question that we need to ask is, are we calling these things what they are or are we giving ourselves excuses for them? How many people say, well, that's just who I am. I just have a temper. I, I just get irritated really easy. I, I just open my mouth too quickly. Well, all of those things are, are areas that we could be tempted in to, to not live a righteous life that God has called us to live. So are we calling the areas that we're tempted in actual sin or are we giving ourselves excuses for those things? Another question that we can ask when thinking about this area of temptation is do we actually hate the sin that we're tempted with? That's, that's a tougher question to ask. Because if we really hate it, there should be something within us that, that pushes it away. 
Um, we know we're supposed to hate it, right? We, we know we shouldn't enjoy these things or, or do these things or give in to these things, but we have to ask, do, do, we, really, do we really hate these things? Uh, another question is, is this, does anyone know about the sin that you're tempted with? Um, living in isolation with your sin is never a good idea. Living in isolation with, with the things that you're tempted with is, is never a good idea because we're prone to think, I can beat this, right? I, I can do well in this thing. And the truth is, we may be able to do well for a while, but if we're in constant relapse, uh, are we really beating this thing? Whatever that thing may be. And then the final question that, that I think is helpful to ask, and I can give you these later if you want them, is do you recognize that, that your or my giving into temptation is in reality and primarily a sin against God? Um, when we view sin in that way, when we view giving into temptation that way, I, I think it begins to transform our thought process because oftentimes, especially in private sins, maybe it's, it's evil thoughts towards somebody, about somebody, uh, maybe it's in bitterness. Uh, we think that, that we're the only one that this is affecting, and, and as long as we don't you know, lash out and kill them, then everything's going to be okay. But our bitterness towards, or our jealousy, or our, our hatred towards another individual that God created is really a sin against the creator who created them. And that's why David says in Psalm 51, against thee, the only have I sinned. It wasn't that he was, was ignoring his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. He was just acknowledging that sin primarily in the life of a human, saved or not saved, is, is an offense to the creator God. So I, I hope those questions are helpful to us and and as I said, if you want them later, I can certainly give them to you. But answering these questions, it's going to help us gauge where our hearts are at. Um, sometimes we think that, that temptation is just a part of the, the, the Christian life. And while I agree to a point, it is a part of the Christian life. But if we're struggling with the same temptation over and over and over again, hasn't it in some way shown that, that we haven't really desired to kill that thing? Um, and so we can't just say, well, temptations are always going to be there, so that's just a part of the Christian life, and it's only sin if I give in. No, I, th I think if we're, we're continually tempted with the same thing over and over again, then we haven't allowed, in some ways, God to kill that thing in us yet because we're still selfishly or greedily holding on to that thing in some way. And I'm not saying it's a quick battle, right? You say, God, take this thing and kill it. Um, we know that doesn't happen instantaneously. But we should see some progress over time. Uh, we should see God giving us the victory in these things. And so uh, tonight as we talk about this idea of temptation, I, I do hope it will be a help to us. Uh, the, the, one of the things that I have been pondering uh, since really uh, last, over the last couple weeks is uh, as we looked at John the Baptist and, and Herod um, and the question that we asked of what if God gave me over to the desires of my heart? where would I be? The sinful temptations, the, the selfish ambitions, if God gave me over to those things, like he did to the people in Romans 1, where would I be? They were tempted with things that were ungodly, right? They were tempted with things that went against God. They shook their fist in God's face, and God says, I've given you over to those things, and it's a form of judgment. And so how different would our lives look if God did that to us? And so I, I know, I told Brianna, I said, I'm not really excited about this tonight. Um, it's kind of a heavy topic, um, but I, I do think it's a helpful topic because if we're alive and we're living, uh, walking upright, if we're breathing, then temptation is going to be a part of our lives. And, and hopefully, as I said, it shifted and changed as time goes on, but we're always going to be facing something. Verse 24 is kind of the introduction to the end of this chapter and. Solomon says this, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye little children, and attend to the words of my mouth. How do you think if Solomon spoke that, how do you think it would be spoken? Casually? Nonchalantly? Or passionately? Sternly? Um, pleading? Absolutely. I, I think those are all good answers. He, he would have spoken it in such a way that said, hey, I, I've got some information that you need to listen to, right? I've, I've, I'm going to speak some things here that 
I have learned from experience, and you don't want to go down the road that, that possibly he had been down at this point. Certainly, we know that in his kingship, he did give himself over to these sexual sins that eventually led his heart away. And so, so maybe he was even battling these things in his own mind during the writing of this, that Solomon says, I, I know the, the despair that these things will bring into your life, so listen to me. Please, listen, listen to me so you don't have to experience the same things I've experienced. If you have, if you have kids or had kids who are grown up, did you ever speak to them in that way? Learn from my mistakes. Learn from what I've done wrong so that you don't have to have the same scars maybe that I have in my life. There's a similar admonition in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 7. He says, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. If something is the apple of your eye, what is it? Special. You look at the way new parents look at their new baby. Just seeing Evan and Elise yesterday they're going to protect that baby at any cost, right? Why? Because it's special to them. It, it's a gift. And the law of God is a gift. The, the law of God, the revelation of what God desires for us as his children is a gift to us. And so Solomon says, keep this as the apple of your eye. He says again what, he, what we saw last week in a similar way, bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. So as I said, Proverbs 7 is really, a, in some ways, primarily about this idea of, of a, a sexual temptation, of fleeing from God's moral law when it came to a sexual relationship. But these principles that we're going to look at tonight, I think, can be applied to every area of temptation and as Solomon was pleading in verses 1 through 5, as he was pleading in verse number 24, he's doing so from a sincere heart as somebody who understood the, the devastation that comes along with ultimately sinning against God. The first thing that I, I want to see tonight is in verse 25, and it's this, temptations become a reality when our hearts wander. Temptations become a reality when our hearts wander. Um, verse 25 again says this, Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Let not thine heart decline. Solomon is making it clear that when it comes to temptation, we have a will and it determines our way. Do you agree with that tonight? That, that in the area of temptation, we have a will and it determines our way. He says, let not your heart decline under her ways. He's saying you have a choice in this area of sinning. Again, here primarily talking about the idea of, of sexual sin, but really any sin, any form of temptation, we have a will and it determines the way that we're going to walk at least for a season in our lives. And so what does he say? Let not your heart, don't, don't let your heart be overcome with these things. Be aware of your proclivity and, and uh, your desire for these things that will lead you astray and bring devastating effects into your life. Uh, let not your heart decline unto, unto these things. And for temptations to become a reality, we must make the choice to let our hearts wander away from the commandments of God. And that's why he says in verses 1 through 5, write them upon your fingers, bind them upon your fingers, write them upon the table of your heart. Keep the law of God in front of you so that when you're faced with the choice of, of giving into temptation and fleeing from temptation, you know what the Word of God has to say. If we don't know what the Word of God has to say, we can convince ourselves that it doesn't actually say it. But when we know what the Word of God says, can we really convince ourselves that it doesn't say it? We can ignore it. We can avoid it. But in our heart of hearts, we know that it's there. We know what God has spoken. So I, I would ask us tonight, again, under the heading of temptations become a reality when our hearts wander, how or where is your heart, how or where is my heart presently prone to wandering? In what area of your life are you tempted to do something that would go against the Word of God? Um, in what area of your heart have you not submitted to God 
In what area of my heart have I not submitted to God? That could be a myriad of, of areas. So many places. And I would say for, for many of us, there's probably overlap, but each of us probably faces a different thing that we're tempted with. Let's just do some easy ones. Anyone here ever tempted with being prideful? Isn't that the root of every sin, really? Um, how many of us are ever tempted to say an unkind word? How many of us are ever tempted to, to maybe not speak it, but think an unkind thought? So temptations become a reality when we let our hearts wander. When we dwell on, on the outcome that maybe we desire to see long enough, guess what? the outcome is probably going to come to be. So we may not ever say a thing to a person for a long season of life, but if we meditate on that thing, if we keep inclining our heart to that thing, if we keep dwelling on that thing, eventually in the heat of the moment, a word is going to come out of our mouth that we said, I never thought I would say that. But how do we get there? We get there when, when, when we finally allow our hearts to continue in that wandering. So are we ever going to be free from pride in this life? Not fully. Are we ever going to be free from wanting to say a, a, a crossword to somebody? Not fully. Not in this life. Are we ever going to be free from, from having a bitter spirit at times in this life? Probably not fully. So what do we do when these things pop up? We don't let our minds entertain the thoughts of what we wish to do. So what would that be considered in, in biblical terms. Repentance of sin is what, what I'm trying to get at. Repentance, right? So if we're, if we're not going to entertain it, we have to repent of it. Because what is repentance? It's, it's a turning away from. It's, it's turning and going the other direction. And so when Solomon here in verse 25 says again, let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her path, what's he saying? Go the other way. Don't, don't even consider it. Don't, when it crosses your mind, don't even entertain that thought because it's going to lead you to a place that you don't want to go. And so temptation, temptation in its, in its general form might not be able to be classified as a sin, but entertaining temptation is a sin. Having a thought, and, and I, I hope I'm, I'm giving to this to you in the right way, having a thought about something evil doesn't necessarily mean that you've committed the sin. But how do you commit the sin? By acting on the thought. By, by entertaining the thought and allowing it to become a reality in your life. And so Solomon says temptations become a reality when our hearts wander. Uh, why? Well, let me ask you this first. How many people who have said, I would never find themselves doing what they said they'd never do? How many of us have said, I would never, and yet we, find our, we have found ourselves doing those things at one point or another? And why do we do these things? What, what are your thoughts? Why do we give in to these things that we say we would never do? Wendy? That's good. Um, when our eyes are fixed on Christ, we understand what we deserve. When our eyes are taken off of Christ, all we think about is what we want. Does that make sense? That when our eyes are fixed on Christ, I think of, well, I'm, I, was a, I am a sinner who deserves separation. But when my eyes are taken off of Christ, I, I think I deserve something different, something other than what I, I know the Bible reveals. Bruce. <laughs> yeah. When we do something like that, but there's sin is pleasurable. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't desire to do it if it wasn't pleasurable, right? And so there's something gratifying in the moment. Um, but how many of us know that things that are gratifying in the moment don't always lead to a good outcome? Uh, it's 
maybe I shouldn't admit this after my talk about driving this morning and the red light that flashes on my dash. Um, but going fast is exhilarating. Anybody agree with that? Um, but who's ever got a speeding ticket, right? The pleasure of sin lasts for a season. Um, eating ice cream in the moment is pleasurable for the moment. And then you step, step on the scale the next day. And it's like, why did I eat that gallon again? Um, it's just... It just has such a negative effect in my life. Uh, so what do we do? If we know that temptations become a reality when we, we let our hearts wander and, and entertain these things over and over again, if we know that eventually these things are going to come to be, what do we do? Well, Solomon answers it in Proverbs 4. In verses 23 through 27, he says, Keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. How do we not let things that we're tempted with become a reality? Keep our heart in check. Keep our heart focused on what God would have us to focus on. If repentance is not a regular part of your life as a Christian, then, then you or I, if it's me, should ask the question, am I really a Christian? Repentance has to be a regular part of our lives, not repentance unto salvation. That happens one time, but continual repentance, why? Because we're continually sinning, and even if we haven't stepped into that lane of sin yet, we're constantly, in some ways, thinking about sin, thinking about how we can get away with something or do something or achieve something that God would say is not right. Uh, What's an example in the Bible about temptations becoming a reality because of a wandering heart? Can you think of any stories? Sure, David and Bathsheba. Rebecca. Absolutely, Peter denying Christ. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. What did Peter say? I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And there he finds himself denying him three times. Yes, Jessica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apprehension has, has caused a lot of Christians to not do what God has called them to do. And probably a lot of us in this room, I know for myself. Nikki. Well, later on, did Moses, like, not follow God's directions? Yeah. So it could look like he was doing <laughs> Did the opposite. Water yep. out of the rock, but then it wasn't drinkable water. Yeah. It was bitter. And yeah. Who couldn't enter the promised land? <laughs> Moses, right? That, that's quite a, a path of destruction for a guy that led people around for 40 years. Um, that's a difficult one. Anybody else? Annie. <laughs> I would say Adam and Eve would be the, the best place to start, right? Why? Because they're the first ones who gave into those temptations and we're still facing the devastation. Somebody else? Yeah, definitely good example. Stephanie, you, she stole yours. Uh, I always raise my hand too, Stephanie, when somebody else says something, so I can just say, oh, that's what I was going to say. I'm just joking. <laughs> that might be a temptation in your life, Stephanie, I'm just saying. <laughs> Anybody else? Well, a couple more. Any other examples? Annie? Yeah? Wasn't being completely honest. Was in some part his sister, but not to the way that he portrayed it, right? Anybody else? Stephanie. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> oh, so, so certainly lots of examples, right? Lots of examples that we could look to in the Word of God and probably lots of examples in our own lives that temptations became a reality uh, when we allowed our hearts to wander. When we think there's a better way, there's an easier way, there's a more convenient way, um, God doesn't get the whole picture here. 
um, or I'm just not comfortable with doing what I know is right. All of those phrases would be entertaining temptation, and when we entertain it long enough, it certainly could become a reality. And so even in the examples that were given tonight, um, a small portion of those dealt with sexual sin, but there was a lot of other sins that were dealt with there. And so we, we can't just think of temptation sexually speaking. It, it covers every area of our lives. Because as I said earlier, as I said earlier, anywhere that we have an opportunity to make a choice, we have an opportunity to be tempted to make the wrong choice. And that's what we see here. Um, any thoughts on this first verse, verse 25? All right, we'll keep going. In verse 26, um, temptations, secondly, that become a reality, and we talked about this a, a little bit already, leave a path of destruction. Temptations that become a reality leave a path of destruction. The first one, again, was temptations become a reality when our hearts wander. Temptations that become a reality leave a path of destruction. In verse 26, he says this, For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Is there anything positive in that verse? No. And yet, how many people, how many of us at times think we can approach a sin that other people have faced and been overcome with, yet we're going to have a different outcome? It's not possible. It, there's no chance in there for a good outcome. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Is there much worse uh, destruction to somebody's life than being killed by the thing they were tempted with? Uh, the, the guy who invented the... Uh, there's, Alistair Begg has this, this poem that he quotes. But the guy who invented the, the radar gun... Um, I can't remember his name now. I shouldn't even have brought it up. But like after he invented the radar gun and they started using it, he was trapped by his own invention, basically. Like, he got a speeding ticket because of the invention that he created, right? His, his good effort um, to stop people from, from speeding brought destruction into his life. But it, it wasn't the radar gun's fault. Whose fault was it? His fault. He's, he's the one who was doing the crime, and so he had to pay the penalty for that. And so this idea of, of casting down many wounded and, and slaying uh, many strong men shows that the path of destruction when we give in to temptations is more than we can handle. It's more than we can handle. As we said, so many people enter into sin thinking that they can, they can overcome or they won't get trapped by this thing, and yet in the end they find themselves trapped in a way that they never either, even fathomed was possible. Um, how many relationships have been broken because people will not forgive? How many feelings have been hurt because of an angry word? Um, how many families have been destroyed because the parents in the family gave in to temptations, maybe even just be involving their careers rather than keeping where God, what God had wanted them to do as the main priority. So anytime we, we leave what God wants us to do, it's always going to leave a path of destruction. Sin always leads to destruction, but the reason that so many do not see the destruction that their temptation brings is because they won't call it sin. We call it an alternative lifestyle or my choice, um, and we fail to see what God has already labeled those things. Um, would anybody here say you want to leave a path of destruction for those to clean up after you? It's, of course we wouldn't. None of us, none of us wants to, to be involved in something that's going to destroy our, our lives or the lives of those around us. And yet so often we find ourselves giving in to those things because, again, we won't call these things what God calls them. Um, the interesting thing about temptation is that we, we think we can have our sinful desires and keep the lives that we currently have, but the truth is we cannot. We think, I'm just going to add this thing to my life and everything's going to stay the same. If you add sin to your life, your life will not stay the same. 
Why do we think that, though? Well, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The deception of the heart that is declined to the ways of temptation will always lead us to chaos, calamity, and destruction. And it reminded me of Psalm 1 that says again, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, again, just showing the value of the word of God, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit, his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the way, in the, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Um, who's ever heard the phrase, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay? Um, I read somewhere this morning that that quote is attributed to, to Ravi Zacharias. Now, who knows anything about Ravi Zacharias in the last few years? Whether all the accusations are true or some of the accusations are true, he had an understanding of sin, but somewhere along the lines, he let the temptation that he was entertaining become a reality in his life to what depths we don't know and, and we don't need to know. But the man who spoke out so boldly against sin found himself leaving a path of destruction because of sin that after he was gone, other people had to clean up. And that's a sad reality for many people that, that when they die, that's when the truth comes out. Um, at one of the conferences I went to recently, the, the guy was telling a story of his dad. His dad was a missionary, and I can't even remember where, but just did a great work, suffered tremendously physically, health-wise, to the point where he had to leave the field and come back home um, because any time he drank any of the water from that country, it would just destroy him for, for long periods of time. And somebody said... I, I want to write your story in a book. And he said, please don't steal my eternal rewards from me. That's a good perspective. Don't, don't take away the glory that I'm going to get in the future. But also, how many books have been written about people while they're living that when they die, you find out, eh, that wasn't all he was cracked up to be. And then the family is left to clean up the disaster. And so, again, number two, temptations that become a reality leave a path of destruction. We can even see this in the life of, of Jonah, the great prophet. His temptation was to run from the will of God because he didn't agree with God. And, and though it only brought destruction to him and the gourd, it still brought destruction. It still brought destruction. And every sin, uh, when left unrepented of, will bring destruction. Any thoughts on this idea of sin bring, or tr temptations that become a reality leaving a path of destruction in our lives. Bruce? I just see that uh, with your illustration with uh, Ravi Zacharias, the strong man. Yeah. You know, go all his life doing something and then at the end, mess up. And that should be a warning to anybody, whether a pastor or yeah. whoever they are. We're, we may be strong in the faith, but temptation. Absolutely. Somebody else? Any thoughts? Yes. What about the father who was very wealthy? He had two children, and one of the children wanted to take his inheritance from me. And he left and went to a very mean pastor and got himself to a pig cough eating nothing food. And he comes back to his dad and he doesn't take it back. Maybe he'll let him eat his toast or something like that. And the father is really upset about it. I, I like that example because it shows us two things. Number one, there's always forgiveness. Number two, you can't always correct the wrongs that you've done 
in every part of your life, if that makes sense. God can forgive them, but the path of destruction was already done, right? He had, he had caused damage in many people's lives. And so some people would look at, it's kind of like what Paul says in Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, God's grace is going to get magnified if we just sin more and, and God's name will be glorified because, you know, we're, we're doing things that deserve God's grace. Well, that's a backwards way of looking at things because sin is always going to have destruction in somebody's life. And who knows how many people that younger son would have hurt while he was living in that time of destruction and chaos in his life. And so I, I appreciate that example because it does show us that, that grace and forgiveness are always there, um, but we always also still have to deal with consequences of sin, right? Any of us could commit the most heinous sin right here and right now, and God, God would forgive us. But if you murder somebody, chances are you're going to end up in jail, right? You're still going to have to pay the consequences on an earthly level. Rebecca. Absolutely. And that older brother is really a picture of the Pharisees, right? The, the religious elite who had the, thought they had life figured out, condemning everybody else while not dealing with the sin in their own heart, and certainly brought destruction uh, into that family. The, the third thing tonight, um, in verse 27, is that temptation that plagues us are not from God. Temptations that plague us are not from God. Look at verse 27. Her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. Does it sound like temptations were coming from a good place? No. Her house is the way to hell. Uh, going down to her house, it's, it's like being the, in the chambers of death. That, that doesn't sound like a, a pleasurable thing at all. And so temptations that plague us aren't from God, they're from the enemy. Uh, James 1, 3 to, 13 to 16 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempt tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So temptation doesn't come from God. When you say, well, hold up. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 9-13? After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. James says, no man is tempted of God. And then Jesus says, pray that we won't be led into temptation by God. Um, two different meanings. The temptation in James is, is talking about tempt temptation to sin. The tempting in, in the Lord's Prayer is talking about a testing or a trial, to pray that we wouldn't go through that time of testing and trial, but that we would be led in, in the path of righteousness. And so we, we can't say there's a contradiction there because it's not. It's just different meanings of, of the same English word. Um, and so, so James is talking about this idea of being tempted to sin, and he says, let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So what is... The, the flow of our temptations. It's, it's from the flesh that still resides within us. It's from the, the prince of the power of the air, the, the God of this world, the, the, the angels who appear as angels of light but are, are in reality demons who are in, in partnership with Satan. Temptations never 
come from God. Temptation to sin never comes from God, for God doesn't want us to sin. God's desire is for us to walk in holiness and righteousness and in a path that, that he has allowed us and enabled us to walk in, which means that we've been taken from the path we're on and set on a new path. And so Solomon is saying, hey, don't even go near this house. This isn't anywhere near where you need to go. When we were growing up in our town, um, there was a house that for a while, it was called The Block. It was a, an apartment complex. We lived in a town of 700 people, so there wasn't much for complexes. Um, but it, there were several houses or several apartments in this one house. And for a while, there was some people there that, that were known um, to not be good people. And you know what my parents often said to us? We have no reason to go down there. No reason to go down there. Why? Because the dangers that are there are something that they didn't want their kids to be involved in. And so what's Solomon saying? You have no reason to go down there. There's, there's nothing good for you there. There's nothing godly for you there. There's nothing that's going to add to your life in that place. It's, if it's not from God, then we shouldn't want it. If it's not from God, then we shouldn't want it. And yet so often, that's where the battle between the flesh and the spirit lies. Understanding what God's word says and understanding what our flesh desires. And Solomon says, if you go down there, understand her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. This is not a good situation for you to be in. And so if temptations don't come from God, who should we run to when we're tempted? To the one who frees us from temptation to the one who has lifted the bondage of sin over our lives, to the one who has given us life, uh, whereas the enemy is the one who gives us death. So we shouldn't go there because that's not where we're going to grow. That's not what God has for us. Reminded of, of the life of Joseph. How many times did Joseph have to run from temptation? Oh, you're just talking about Potiphar's wife. No. How many times did Joseph have to run from temptation? Do you think he wanted to get back at his brothers from a fleshly point of view? Probably. <laughs> I'm still fearing my brother that I sucker punched that time when he was blindfolded on roller skates. Uh, I can't imagine if my brother, if I sold him into slavery, you know, I'd really be looking over my shoulder. Um, and so we have to understand that temptations are not from God. If it's evil, then we should not desire for it to be in our lives. Paul says in Galatians 5, 24 through 26, and they that are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain, uh, vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so if temptations don't come from God, Temptations are the very things that we need to crucify daily. They're the things that we need to seek to, to rid ourselves of and from. They're the things that we need to avoid like the plague. For they will bring a path of destruction in our lives and they will become a reality when we entertain them over an extended period of time. Any thoughts on this idea of temptations that plague us are not from God? Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's certainly a lot in our lives that, that will pose or present struggles, um, and we just have to, we have to want what God wants. We have to hate what God hates and want what God wants. Um, have, have, how many of us would say that we have wanted something for a really long time, and then we got it, and we're like, ah, it's not what I thought it was going to be, right? Um, who remembers digging through the cereal boxes? as They don't do the toys in the cereal boxes anymore. I think it might be germ things, but let's get over the germ thing. It's toys and cereal boxes. Come on. Those were the best toys until you got them out of the cereal box, right? And then they were the most miserable toys, the, the cheapest little trinkets that brought no pleasure at all. The only pleasure they brought was when you got it before your siblings. Um, <laughs> then it was good. Um, but we've all been there. We see something that we think we've got to have, and then we get it, and it doesn't fulfill us like we thought it was going to fulfill us. Do you know why temptations won't fulfill us? Because they can't fulfill us. Why? Because only Christ can fulfill us. Only Christ can fill a void in our hearts that he was designed to fill. And so when we approach temptations, whatever that temptation may be in our lives, we have to understand that it's never going to make good on its promise. And so how do we avoid temptation? Hearken unto me now, therefore, ye children, and attend unto the words of my mouth. Listen to the wisest men who lived. Uh, listen to the, the letter that God has given to us in his word that would present a way out of the pathway of destruction. God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. We just have to determine to walk in it. Let's close in a word of prayer tonight. God, we thank you for this time that we can gather. Thank you for the word that we can look at tonight. And I do pray as we think about this area of temptation, God, that first off, we would be honest with ourselves to admit the areas that we are tempted with. God, each of us has something. Each of us entertains something. And God, help us to understand if we entertain that thing long enough that it will become a reality and it will leave a path of destruction. And that things that leave paths of destructions, God, are not from you, but they're from the one who seeks to destroy God, help us to desire what you want us to have. Help us to desire to walk in a pathway of truth and life for our good and your glory. We thank you again for the time that we can study your word together tonight. God, I pray that it would be used to exhort us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask and pray these things. Amen.